just want to review a little bit of last week because we, uh, we, we went over half of our, our lesson, I guess, uh, this, or this particular story. So just for a moment, pre- pretend that uh, you don't remember anything from last week. Um, we talked about uh, the, the identity that God gives us. And, uh, and we, we read there, or began to read this first story in Daniel, this, this opening where, where Daniel is this uh, new, to this new culture and, and, and him and some friends, and, and this culture around them is trying to make them conform to their, their, their surroundings. And we looked at all the different ways uh, as he interacts with these people that they're trying to make him fit uh, into their mold. Um, and so, we, you know, if, if we look at the uh, obstacles we face, um, and we, we kind of tried to draw some parallels to the way that things are, um, we face uh, a lot of things in our cultures and our societies that are similar. Uh, and as we interact with the world around us, um, now, uh, as people have dealt with this, Kind of a lot of this has to do with people who look at things and come to the wrong conclusions, right? Uh, people have the ability to to look at a situation and and take all the wrong things out of the situation. So so um, in times past, people have decided here's this culture that's around us. What we really need to do is go build a building on the top of a hill and go up there and get away from culture because culture is trying to make me conform. To the culture, uh, so they build monasteries, or or uh, we don't build monasteries now, right? Not too many monasteries being built, uh, but but we surround ourselves and we we take refuge in, in in the churches, and that's not that's not a bad thing to to come together. We're supposed to come together, but but some people that's their only sphere of influence. They try to surround themselves only with like-minded Christians. Uh, we put our kids in Christian schools and we do things like that, or home schools. We, we, that's, again, not my kids are in a Christian school. We, we try to limit some of the negative influences. But unfortunately, we, we can go to the point where we, we take all the wrong things. We, we eliminate interaction with society. That's one of the things uh, that we, we look at. Uh, we, I want to open by, by reading our, our, the rest of the text and, and kind of look at, we're going to look at another thing that people have taken all the wrong things from this text. Uh, but when Daniel chapter 1, uh, we finished off in verse 8 with, uh, with Daniel asking that he not have to defile himself with, with all these other foods from the king. And we explained what that was and, and, and why it was so wrong. And in verse 9 he says, Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and the goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I'm afraid, my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and drink. Why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head in front of the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us a week and a half. Let them give us just vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then, let our appearances be examined in front of you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, then so deal with your servants. So he consented with them to this matter and tested them for ten days. Now at the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and fatter 
in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. So the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge, the skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding and vision and dreams. Now at the end of the days, uh, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king interviewed them. And among them, uh, among them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and therefore they served in front of the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. So Daniel continued until the first year of the king of Cyrus. Now, as I said uh, last week, uh, we, we looked at how they tried to uh, change the identity of these men, tried to give them the new names. But you'll notice that they resist this. Daniel continues to address them by their Hebrew names. Right? And I don't want to get back into that point. I just thought that uh, as we be a point to bring out as, as we continue to look at this. But some people have the ability to look at all the wrong things. Uh, last, last week I kind of joked, and it was only a half joke, that, that this is not a story of vegetarianism. Right? Unfortunately, you have to say that because there, is this, there are people who read the Bible and they look at the wrong thing and have said, you know what? What God wants is for us to follow Daniel's diet. You can get a book, I think, uh, somewhere, Daniel's diet or whatever, or this diet or that diet. And, 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 and what we really should do is, is follow Daniel. We'll, we'll be more healthy or whatever. <clears throat> this is not about that. Um, this is no more a cause and effect of, of what happened to them and what they ate than saying you're going to be really healthy if you eat bread for 40 years. In the, in the desert. Well, that was not a natural cause and effect. You never see, uh, do the Sinai diet. No one ever, does, that book has never been written. Do the Sinai diet. Just eat bread for 40 years, you know. Uh, not there. Why? Well, you know, not that popular of a movement, I guess. I want you to notice it says that they got fatter uh, over these 10 days. Now, <clears throat> I knew of a raw foodist. Now, has anybody ever known a raw foodist? Okay, raw foodists make vegans look irresponsible. Okay. A raw, he only ate raw vegetables, um, and he did it for health. He lost about 100 pounds in like 10 months. Right? He said, Andrew, it is impossible to gain weight eating only vegetables. It's impossible. So, so this is not about that. This is, this is something that God did. This is not about a vegetarian diet. You've you got to say this. Because some people have the ability to look at the Bible and take out all the wrong things. But this week, what we're going to do uh, is look at some foundational principles as we, as we uh, interact with the world around us. We want to look at the building a foundation. Last week, we, we didn't even get out of kind of how we are with ourselves. Having your own identity, establishing your own identity before we, we have this mission of, of interacting with the world. How am I with myself? And we want to build the foundation this week for our interactions. And what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at this story in reverse order, or the second part of the story kind of in reverse order. So we're going to begin with the end. And I want to look at Daniel chapter 1, uh, verse 19 and 20. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
He says, Now the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they stood before the king, and every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And so where I want to begin here is with the idea that our spiritual viewpoint uh, is vastly superior. Uh, as in, in this, There was this contrast between Daniel, these men, and, and the other wise men. Uh, and they were going to do things their way, and, and they were going to do things, and, and we talked about the, 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 what eating this meat meant, and how, how it was attached to their gods, and how these gods were supposed to give them wisdom. But Daniel, and we'll see this again and again throughout this book, they ha- these men have a spiritual background, and, 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 and that's their focus. And we'll see again and again that it is superior uh, to the others around them. We'll probably mention this as we go through. But there is no better source of enlightenment than a divine source. There is simple truth in the scriptures. Misconception is that secular or, and, and spiritual is this completely separate thing. So, uh, spiritual people should talk about spiritual things and secular people, like well, the science people talk about the science and, and, and all that. Um, and and uh, I, I was in a, I was one, one of the um, times we went uh, to go renew our visas, we were, happened to be in Berlin, and I, I was in this, this guy was, I, I met uh, through a, a contact here uh, in the States, a, a guy, a Christian over there, and so we actually stayed with him because we ended up having to stay for about a month. Um, and, and he ran a library, uh, a library. Bible library and a lot of religious books and stuff like that. And they were having a lecture. That a guy was going to talk about postmodernism. He was a Christian. Uh, I don't know of what faith or whatever. Uh, but he was, it was a really good talk. But I didn't know who he was uh, before. So we were just kind of standing around in a group talking. Uh, and I was, I don't even know, kind of along the lines of evolution and stuff like this. And so here I am spouting off of my vast knowledge to this professor from Rutgers. I don't know if, had I known that I was talking to a professor of Rutgers, that I would have been so free with my thoughts. Um, but I still think I'm right. But he, made, he got up and he was talking about things. And outside of the, the, the lecture on, on postmodernism, which was really good, he, he made this statement that I will leave the religion to God and I will leave the science to the scientists. Well... The problem there being that God did both. God made everything. God made science. And God wrote the Bible. So I will leave all of it to God, if you don't mind. Um, This idea that secular and spiritual is different. And that we have to group them and categorize them different. God knows more about science than the scientists. He knows more about philosophy than the philosophers. He knows more about psychology than the psychiatrists. God knows more about medicine than the doctors. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to find that the Bible is full of these things. The Bible is about our spiritual condition. But what you will find is a lot of times these things intersect. And when they intersect, you have more knowledge than people 
who have the secular knowledge. I'll give an example of that in just a second, but God has not told us everything about everything. Now, I don't know what happened to the dinosaurs. It's not important to me. Right? God did not see it necessary to give every piece of information about everything that's ever happened. But I talk about vital intersections, vital knowledge, things that connect to spiritual things. God has given everything. The Bible says God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything you need to know. And in those things, you will find that you are more enlightened if you know the Bible. If you know these things, then the people around you, I don't care how many degrees that they have. I knew a guy by the name of Ken Barker that would go to um, companies. And he would do lectures on efficiency and, and, and money management using Proverbs or using various books of the Bible, using parables of, of Christ. Why? Because those, those intersect, because, because money management, God's, Christ spoke a lot about this, because, because this affects our spirituality. And God has a lot of principles that, that intersect Our world is focused on uh, mental health, right? There's a lot of talk about mental health. But because they have eliminated God, there's a lot of misunderstanding about mental health. Right? A lot of what is called mental health is issues has nothing to do with the brain. There's actually emotional health. That's the problem. And a lot of what's called mental health problems is spiritual health problems. It's not mental health at all. The brain's functioning fine. There's nothing wrong with the brain. It's not mental health. It's emotional health. It's spiritual health. That's the problem. Let me give you an example. Uh, this lady, uh, okay, so by German standards, she was called a beautiful beast. Now, in Germany, maybe so. I'm not going to judge their standards of beauty. Uh, she was also called um, the, uh, well, I have another nickname for her, the hyena of Auschwitz. Right. Uh, who was is, who is this Irma Greasy? Uh, she was a brutal Nazi nurse at Auschwitz and later at Bergen-Belsen, uh, where just, just numbers of atrocities, thousands and thousands and thousands of people executed. And she took particular enjoyment in this. Uh, she was a nurse. Kind of a loose play on the word nurse, I guess. How did she get there? She was executed at age 22, not long after this photo was taken. How did she get to be there? Was it mental health? Was, was there something? She was, no. Nothing mentally wrong with her. She had, at 19 become known as, as I say, the hyena of Auschwitz. 19 years old. Wow. 19. A brutal nurse. A year earlier, she had joined a propaganda education organization called the Nazi Youth. Ah, so they indoctrinated her. See, And then we do this with, with, well, see, people get indoctrinated and that's when they become brutal. No, the, the key is before 18. 
And so, so many people attribute this cruelty to her indoctrination, but it happened before then. The cruelty happened before then. She dropped out of school at 15 because of... What do you think she dropped out of? Because of... Bullying. This is not a new thing. See, the bullying made her who she was. No, that's, that's not the case. That's not the case. At 13, her mother commits suicide. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Her mother commits suicide because in a small village, her uh, Greta's, or is it Greta? Irma, excuse me. Irma's father had an affair with one of the local businessmen's daughter. And they became the butt of the, the jokes in the town. Of just a small village. And see, so all these things started. Things weren't dealt with right. And, and because things got out of order spiritually, you see where that leads down the road. It, did it, it, did it, it wasn't a Nazi camp that, that made her be different. It wasn't bullies at school that made her be different. It was spiritual things that got out of order. And then her mother not taking responsibility and doing things and the, treating things the right way. It was spiritual help. And if people had had spiritual understanding in the situation, that would have fixed a lot of these problems. The scriptures have the spiritual answers that people need. Our world has a lot of treatments, but only God has the cure for these things. People try to distract, they try to medicate, they try to do all these things. And I'm not saying that in some of these situations that those things aren't necessary, but in most of them they're not. In most of these cases, the answer is something spiritual. And, and we let the world, and, and, we, and we, we be quiet, and we sit over here in our corner, sequestered in our monastery, <clears throat> and let the world give their secular answers for, for all the spiritual problems that we have. So that's the, the first problem. Well, I want to back up into the story a little bit, because that's the end of the story. We see the end of the story with, with uh, Daniel and these men having success. But what comes before this success? Well, Daniel chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, he says, At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance, fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Wait a minute. That's kind of odd, because I thought for ten days they had already been doing this. What does this mean that he took it away after 10 days? Hadn't they already been doing this for 10 days? And the problem was that we look at the story and kind of assume some things. But the temptation had never been taken away. The temptation was still there. See, resistance is a behavior. This wasn't, uh, here, just take it away and, and we're not going to have to deal with it. But for ten days, they got to sit there and look at whatever this was and go, no, we're having the carrots. You ever been in a situation like that, similar? No, I, uh, 
It might be a doctor puts you on something or I, whatever the situation, you can't have this. Everybody else around you is having this. For 10 days. How often do we pray for God to remove temptations from us? Sometimes God says no. Before I take this away, I'm going to see how you deal with it right in your face. Then maybe he might take it away. Sometimes I think God just wants to see how we're going to fight when there's an opportunity. Before God is going to make it easy on us, he wants to see how we do when it's hard on us. The purpose of this series is trying to explore some of these interactions with the world around us. That means we're going to have to be with the world around us. So those interactions are, as we say, challenging. Are we shaping ourselves for those difficult interactions? If I'm, if I'm, if I'm never doing something or putting myself in a, in a difficult place, well, then I'm never challenged. And I'm never going to be able to make the right decision. Growth is a process. Last week we talked about a key to success being the mindset that we started with. But along the way, not just that moment that we begin, but along the way there are moments that harden us. And I mean that in a good way. Moments that maybe you could say steal us for the main event, for a main confrontation that we're going to have to to face. It's often joked that we shouldn't pray for patience. We've always joked. I've I've heard that joke since I was a little kid. Don't pray for patience. Because God's going to give you kids or something. I don't know, whatever. I've heard heard a million answers to that, you know, punchlines to that joke. The reality is this, that any virtue that you wish to develop under that scenario, you should not pray for. Because none of the virtues that we are expected to have are always easy. Joy. I mean, think of joy. Well, joy is easy. Oh, yeah? Try having joy in tragic moments. Don't pray for joy because something tragic might happen. I mean, that, that logic, while it's a funny joke, it is not reflective of reality. Growth is a process. Now, you should not, I'm not suggesting you pray for the neg- negative circumstances so that you can develop those positive traits, obviously. Those things will come as a matter of life. They will come. The opportunity for, for you to show the quality will eventually be there. Daniel in this chapter is at a moment on this course where he has the ability to develop just a little resistance. Here's just a little resistance. The next chapter, things are going to get 
just a touch. In the following chapters, I should say, plural, things are going to get just a little bit tougher. This is a chance for him to start, just start showing a little bit resistance. That means, don't eat this meat for ten days. Start small. Start small where you're at. And start to build up resistance. And you'll see that the hefty decisions are a little bit easier. That brings us to the first point, which is the third point. Uh, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. And this is kind of where we, where we begin the text. That it says, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head, the king. And as we talk about spirituality, we have to understand that spiritual, personal spirituality comes first. Consequences of spirituality are secondary. We always weigh the consequence. What's going to happen if... And, and, and we determine this and use this as a, as a means for, for gauging what is right or wrong. What a decision. And, and, and so, so this, this uh, master or this person who's in a direct authority over Daniel, he says, listen, my neck's on the line here. This is what I've been asked to do. Just do it, or I'm going to get killed. Why would you jeopardize me? You ever have somebody kind of, if you love me, you won't, right? We have that, that, those questions pop up and up. Listen, if you do this thing, I'm going to get fired. Just do this thing. Just do what you're told. Do what you're asked. I mean, you don't want to hurt other people. Daniel was willing to risk the life of this other man for his own personal spirituality. That's heavy. It does not sound kind. But Daniel understood how to prioritize some difficult choices. Mark 8.36. That's the wrong word. Why did I? I think I... Let me turn now. Mark 8.36. Right text, wrong verse. Let's back up a little bit. He says, When he called the people to himself, the disciples also, he said to them, Whoever denies himself, come after me and deny himself. Whoever takes up his cross, let him follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake 
and the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So, so even Christ mirrored this, this concept of, of having your personal spirituality come first. Not just before wealth, but before any other positive influence you could have. What if, what if uh, someone was this great... I mean, you ever see these, these stories of, of people that they were so great, and yet at the end of their lives, there's something they gave up. And it's like, what a waste. What a waste. You, you addressed all these other needs, and then some tragic thing happens to you. That, not, not tragic in the, in the typical sense, but, but tragic spiritually. It's like, wow, and they lost that. What an what a awful ending to that story. It could have been so much greater. My spiritual, my personal spirituality, and Daniel understood this, that had to come first. If I start making compromises for this thing or for that thing, then I can find an eternity of excuses not to be morally responsible in this situation or that situation. And it just makes it easier to avoid that responsibility. Um, Rationalization impedes our, our progress. It is one of the strongest impulses that we have as humans. Self-preservation is connected to it. It just makes it easier for me to follow the path of least resistance. Man, this guy's going to lose his life. Would God ask me, we do this, would God want me really to do this? So many questions. Would God want... And, and we can come up with... I've, I've heard all these hypotheticals. We love hypotheticals. Right? Would God want me to lie? What if I was in... Uh, let's go back to Nazi Germany. Would God want me... I'm hiding some juice in my house. Would God want me to lie or tell the truth? If I tell the truth, they're going to take these, these poor people out of my home and they're going to execute them. Would God want me to lie or tell the truth? What was Daniel's answer? I'm sorry for your particular situation, but at this point in time, the virtuous thing to do takes precedence over consequences. These are just consequences. They are temporary. But spiritual consequences are eternal. And that's where the valuation, that's where the equivalency is. Now, I want to look at some things here. Faith is twofold. Hebrews 11:6 says that without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would come close to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, we often leave off after the first part because that's easy, the intellectual acceptance of God. God exists, and we spend all time debating the existence of God. But that is just merely information But God also requires the application of this, that that you have to have trust in a God who rewards and works out these situations. Now we know the end of the story. Uh, Or if you don't, uh, at least it appears that this guy didn't lose his life. Maybe after chapter 2 he did. I don't know. But it appears that 
this guy's neck was saved. And we like that story. It ended good. Acts 12, 19, though. A different story. Acts 12, 19 says, uh, when they came, this is now Peter's uh, escape from uh, prison with the help of angels. There was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Now remember in this story, the, the angels have put the soldiers to sleep. They're just doing their job. They didn't ask to guard this prisoner. They didn't, I mean, as far as I know, they're just doing their job. After Herod searched for him, couldn't find him, he determined that the sentries, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea and Caesarea and spent some time there. Peter did. Peter didn't come forward and save these men's lives. Say, here I am. Put me back in prison. Men died. Difficult circumstances for doing their job and not being able to be a little bit stronger than angels. That was their crime. Dependence on the principle that we've been talking about leads to trust, that, that God knows how to manage consequences, and it's his job to do this. It's not mine. Daniel was confident that God could keep things in the box, that, that, that God was strong enough to, to let him do his spiritual thing and then take care of this guy over there if, if it need be. And in that case, God did. In the case in Acts, God didn't. Now, I don't know about maybe God knew something about this guy and that's why and these guys. and That's not me to figure out. I can't ever possibly know that. But Daniel trusted God to figure those details out. His job was to be spiritual. His job was to prioritize the situation right. This is the foundation for our interactions with people. Before I can interact with the, a world, a depraved world around me, I've got to know just a couple of these three things. And it comes down to one thought as we're going to leave you. One word, relinquish. It's time to relinquish the control. I cannot control consequences. And circumstances. I, I have no ability to do that. We, we try to maintain these. these we, we just, it's beyond us. We, the idea of control is an illusion. I can't control temptation. Temptation is a part of humanity. I can't control whether I'm tempted or not. I can't. I can pray, and God can say, no, you've got to deal with it for a little while. I, I can't control anything other than my response and my priorities. That's what I can control. I can control my response. Once I know that, once I know... I, I can't control the direction that things take. Relinquish control and allow God's resources to be what determine your direction in all of your interactions.
with the people around you. And that's when success will be visible. When, when the comparison will be made. That's when all of the preparation, the foundational preparation will be seen. And that's when God will be seen as glorified in the world around us.